Guess who's getting a knock at the door from the cops tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) They already have a file three feet thick on you. This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining us on this episode four of the RC Roundtable podcast. And I'm Fitz Walker, and joining me is Lee Ray, your plastic pal who's fun to be with. Your plastic pal is fun to be with. Oh, my my Douglas Adams fan. Hello, everybody. And also joining us is Terry Dunn. Hi. I don't get a jingle? You you don't get a jingle. (laughs) Uh, No, no jingle. Next time I'll give you a jingle. Okay, well, a couple of things interesting this week. E-Flight has come out with a new bush plane-looking thing called a Timber. And uh, this one is notable in that it not only comes with a set of floats, but it has leading-edge slats on it that, can, uh, that are removable for a presumably ultra-slow flying and such things as that, which I thought was really interesting. It looks pretty interesting. Yeah, it looks like it could be a fun little plane. Uh, I caught a quick video of it, and they show it doing really short takeoff and landings, and then they took off the leading edge slats and did a whole bunch of aerobatics and stuff, including knife edges. And it's got these big, goofy tires on it, so it looks like it'd be a really fun plane. I believe it comes with floats as well. Is that correct? Yes, it comes with a set of floats. It's really nice. Uh, it reminds me of the multiplex model sport. Which one? The uh, Fun Cab. You know, oh, the, Fun Cab, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. It has a neat little spring landing gear, a shock-absorbing landing gear with a spring, kind of like a Cub ish kind of thing that I thought was kind of neat as well. Interesting. And a big rudder. And a big rudder. That's probably why I was able to do knife edges. Uh, it's a fairly good sized plane, 61 inches, but it only uses a three cell 2200 battery. That sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds a little on the small side to me, but that's, oh, it's kind of like the Apprentice that does that as well. Let's see, slotted flaps even. Yeah. Yeah, big barn door flaps there in the back. No wing struts. It's very light. It has to be light with only a 3S2200 and a 61-inch wingspan. I think it probably has, like, no wing loading. Did you say it had lights? Yes, it has lights. <laughs> wow. Not internal lights, but landing lights. Yes, there's a couple of lights in the cowl on the nose, and there's a beacon under under the fuselage in the rear. Yeah, it's not a night flyer, if that's what you meant. No, no, I meant just little... And, of course, it comes with the AS3X stabilization receiver. Pretty soon, we're all going to need AS3X just to walk down the street. Because <laughs> it seems like we can't do anything without it. Well, I, for one, welcome our AS3X overlords. <laughs> oh, man. Well, And the price ain't bad. I mean, for what all you get right there, that's actually a pretty nice price. Yeah, they're showing, what, 200 and... 250 250 Bind and fly, basically. Uh, that one is a bind and fly, yeah. So I don't think that's a bad price. And then bad I price. mentioned to you earlier, before the radio show, uh, the um, you know I still like that E Flight Brave, but it's over. It's more expensive than this, and it's smaller too. So I I don't know. Kind of think I the, the Brave should be at this price tag. This looks like a really good deal. You got the floats, uh, slow fly AS three X. Really nice looking plane. Uh, I think this one probably will be really popular. Yeah, I agree. I think it already is. There's a thread on RC Groups that's quite large for a plane that hasn't even been released yet. Now, yeah, I think they're just still taking pre-orders, right? I, I am, I'm going to have to like do one of these uh, <laughs> updates. By the way, they just lowered the price of the Brave I was to two forty nine. Oh, I see. You see the, how much power we have in the media? It actually has a big banner on the site that says price cut. <laughs> so maybe maybe someone heard our show and heard me saying, I think it's too much. But they hooked yes. me. Now I'm going back to the hobby shop and buying me one. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, you're so easy. They got me. Uh, well, I figured that was the right price for that plane. So... Maybe, you maybe the it worked. One. Hey, we can hope, can't we? Yeah. So what else do we have on our new product table, Fitz? Well, one last thing. Uh, we've gone 
from uh, from light flyer to heavy metal, Phoenix Models is advertising a new Ju87 Stuka, a hybrid, either gas powered or electric powered, 75 inch ARF. This is the Stuka dive bomber, famous in the Battle of Britain and so forth, by, used by the Germans. And uh, this one looks pretty nice. It's uh, all wood construction and uh, has working dive flaps or at least flaps. A nice big battery hatch if you go electric with it. Uh, so it's unusual to see a Stuka model. So this was caught my eye and I thought it was pretty neat. I'm looking at it right now, and it's funny. I'm when you said Stuka, I said I bet they has a little card that when you open the box that says you must say Stuka when you fly this plane. <laughs> That's how you have to pronounce it. But, we have ways of making you say Stuka. Stuka. Well, it's a huge plane. It's 75 inches, and uh, it's it's what's nice about it. It's and Phoenix has done this a lot for their airplanes. I mean, I've I've looked at a couple of their kits, but this is you know the the multi engine. Uh, Compatibility, electric, gas, or glow, and it's only two ninety. I mean, yeah, that ain't bad. bad at all, and it looks beautiful. It looks nice. It's for a twenty cc engine. Uh, it's it's almost quarter scale or giant scale. If they only went five more inches, it would have been officially uh, giant scale. Put but some sidewinders really nice. on the tips. That'll make it winglets. <laughs> <laughs> big, big seven thirty seven winglets. <laughs> It is. It's got a lot of character to it. I mean, if you think Nazi airplane, if you look at this, you're like, yeah, that's something, you know, pretty mean looking. Oh, yeah, this there's the benefit of it being a warbird without retracts as well. Yeah, yeah, no retracts, so you can grass fields and extra durable for those hard landings and that kind of stuff. I think if you took that to a, a warbird event with the 80 inch wingspan, I minimum, mean, they ain't gonna balk. It's a pretty plane. That's true. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of them would would give you any problems. My only contention is they they recommend. Uh, a six cell battery on it. I thought that was maybe a little on the small side for a 2000 watt power, uh, power plant. But, uh, and an we'll 11 see. to 12 pound airplane too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wouldn't go anywhere less than eight cells on that, but, uh, if you can balance it, it might fly okay. It's not a speed demon being a Stuka. Even the real ones are real slow. So it probably fly scale with their recommended power setup. Now, Lee mentioned the commonality now of multiple power systems being designed for kits. Have either of you built and flown a kit made for glass, gas or glow and electric? Yes, I, I did uh, the Chaos 60 very recently. Oh, that's right. Okay, It comes out of the box ready for glow or electric, and it had provisions for both. And uh, it seemed like it would work really well. I did mine as electric, and it was fantastic. Uh, so I can only imagine the glow version would be pretty much pretty much the same. Yeah, I've done the Great Plains Escapade MX, and also they had an Avastar Elite that was uh, nitro or electric, and actually flew it in both versions. And it was hard for me to tell the difference. It's very, I don't know what the word is, similar. What's your experience? <laughs> Have not. I mean, the only thing I've ever done is uh, conversions from a glow plane. Um, but that being said, I'd love to get into, dare I say, I'd love to get a gas aircraft. I'd like to get a large scale warbird and run gas. Uh, I think when you get past 60 size, I don't think going glow or those larger glow engines is worth it. I think I'd rather just stick with gas. And I, I enjoy going to these Warbird events a lot to photograph them, but I wouldn't mind finding uh, like a Corsair or a Thunderbolt to take out and put gas in it. Yeah, especially since they have the smaller size gas engines. You get the 9cc, 10cc, really nice stuff. More reliable and cheap fuel. Right. We don't have a local hobby shop here in Lubbock anymore, so a lot of the Warbird fans in my club run gas for that very reason. Well, if you like gas planes, that, that Stuka looks like it would be a nice one to... Gosh, it's it's really pretty. It's like... I can't believe the price. I mean, I really, I'm really looking at it. It says the retail's 409 so 289 is a steal. Yeah, 289 It's got a big cowl, so you can shove a gas engine in there pretty easily without mucking up the nose too much. Is that a Western Front paint scheme? I believe so. Uh, it is. It's an earlier model Stuka. So uh, I don't think by the time they, they were fighting in the East, they had too many of this particular model. All right, then. Well, let's uh, move on to our next topic. 
All right, for those who remember last week, we had the big Velcro debate, and we got pretty heated and uh, almost lost our friendships over it. But I think uh, Terry has an update from from last week. Terry, you want to chime in on the Velcro debate? Well, the update is, for you and I, Fitz, we have to put the crow in Velcro. The, <laughs> the poll was very decisive. It was, let's see... Of 105 people who participated in our RC Groups poll, 83 sided with Lee and put the fuzzy side on their battery. And 22 much more intelligent people sided with you and I. So it was... Well, I want to do an update to that because I also took the debate onto a couple of uh, Facebook threads or groups rather, and I got... Eight for loop and two for um, hook. So the the results are actually ninety one to twenty four. Just to you know, be more accurate. Uh huh. So 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 we have to. Can I bring hot sauce for that crow? I have to eat <laughs> whatever it takes to swallow. Oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> well, speaking of German planes, you know, a lot of people voted for Nazis back in there. <laughs> Doesn't mean that they were right. <laughs> oh man! Well, I, I will say, uh, if anybody got to go on to the RC group said there were some just hilarious comments. I mean, someone tried to bring up the uh, the whole debate on toilet paper too, you know. And uh, one guy I think was great. He goes, "Well, I always like to put the sticky side on the part of the plane, and you know, because everybody was asking which side you put on." He goes, "So I thought that was you know good <laughs> sticky side." Um, you know, we had a good friend. Uh, Tom from uh, Dallas, or excuse me, Fort Worth, he he was giving all kinds of reasonings to uh, to that, and and we also did ask because this was one of the questions we put in the previous podcast. Is like, what are the manufacturers using? And it did seem that they were mainly putting hook on the aircraft. And I was incorrect about the park zone. Um, I thought that it was already in there. I think it's something I added afterwards. So I kind of canceled myself out there but a couple of people chimed in saying that the vein the vendors were putting in hook but on the uh, airframe on the airframe correct but, yeah one airframe i had from it was an r had hooks in the airframe as well and it was i i enjoyed this i know we we uh terry just looks to rip me back and forth about it but i did enjoy the thread on rc groups a lot of people had some of their reasonings out there, which some made no sense. I don't know if you guys read some, but uh, but they were hilarious. But. I think it was arbitrary. I, I had one slight update. Uh, for, for those who don't know, I, I work here in Houston at NASA, what we call the Johnson Space Center. And I often get to interact with different programs and projects. And I was in a, one of the labs last week, a fabrication lab. As a matter of fact, and one of the gentlemen had whipped out a bunch of Velcro that he was going to be using on some of the equipment. And I immediately thought about our big Velcro debate. And I said, well, how does NASA do it? So I asked him, is it hook or loop on the equipment? And he told me that for the most part, they use the loop on small removable items and the hook on, you know, the, mostly the fixed items. And he said it was his understanding that after being in space for a while, the, the astronauts and crew, their hands get rather sensitive to touch. And so they prefer having the loop on their things that they have to tow, hold and touch and remove. And so that they usually use the loop ah. on. I thought that was really interesting and unfortunate. <laughs> for, you, for you and Terry. Well, and yes. I, and if I'm not mistaken, they're, they're, uh, Socks, I guess they wear in space, and when they attach their feet to items, would it be loop on the the floor? I said floor. Can you believe I said that on the walls? <laughs> There's uh, a floor. <laughs> do you call them floors? Sure. Okay. Well, then are there are there uh, are the pads on the floors hook and their socks all loop? I don't know, Terry. You know that? I don't know. How would they? They would never get anywhere. They'd be stuck. <laughs> Well, I know they, they there are secure spots. They have you know little things they put down. But wow, Fitz, that was a great uh, uh, oh, what, what do you call that uh, awakening <laughs> to find out that space uh, follows the uh, crazy leap path. Yeah, I know it's a government agency. What do you expect? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Speaking of government agency. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think we. <laughs> All right. 
So, so uh, put on your tinfoil hats. We're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, well, anyone who's been in this hobby for at least several months or so knows that uh, we're being scrutinized by the FAA. We're having new restrictions and rules that are going, that are looking to be passed in the Congress and Senate regarding how we fly our model airplanes in the national airspace. And so I thought we'd take a little bit of time to talk about sort of the state of the affairs at the moment. And I know Lee and Terry are both really in tune to what's going on here. Uh, who wants to start first with their thoughts? Everything at this point is opinion because I don't think anybody knows what's going on. It's funny. A lot of my friends at the club know I'm I'm pretty loud passionate. about <laughs> passionate loud uh, about what's happening. And it, again, it's it's from my personal perspective. There are other people who don't care. Who people who say, "Well, you just register; it's no big deal," and you know, let whatever happens. It's it's necessary. Uh, but for me, for being in this hobby so long, and, and I'm going to keep stressing that word, hobby, uh, this is not uh, something that's, well, now it is, but has been regulated. It's it's for fun. You know, you see model aviation magazines, you see fathers and sons and daughters going out and, and having fun in this hobby. But there has been uh, a situation where a new type of technology has come into the playing field where we have autonomous uh, GPS driven and this is where the <laughs> the word is being misused it's multi-rotor uh, someone was asking me the other day what what is the right term and in my opinion it's it's multi-rotor we used to call them quadcopters because that's how they started but once multi-rotors came in and and were inundating the market and people could just grab them, turn them on and fly them and, and accidents were happening. That's when it caught the awareness of the government, not just the FAA, but I think congressmen who were being given heads up notices that these could be used as deadly weapons. Well, it's also the sensational coverage in the media as well. That's and the media. part of that. Yes, you are correct. I, I meant to lead to those nasty people, but anyway, um, for me, my perspective is this, we're being regulated out of this hobby. The FAA thinks anybody who flies a model airplane because they are not separating the two. And even though I agree both are remote controlled and usually piloted by one individual, um, I think the technology of multi-rotors is different as boats are different from model airplanes. They're both radio controlled, but they're in a different category. And the FAA is not separating that category and they put a blanket policy on all aircraft which is what I think is wrong. So to wrap up so you guys can get a word in edgewise, uh, my view is the FAA registration policy is illegal. Um, they are creating a registration system that they really had no right to, to pursue. And their fears and the media's fears have hyped up the government, uh, the Senate and Congress to start changing the new reauthorization law for the FAA to put severe restrictions on our hobby, which I, I firmly believe will will start bringing this hobby down to a standstill. Yeah, cause they had a previous carve-out just pro or provision just for model airplanes that they weren't to be uh, author uh, regulated by the FAA. It looks like they're going to be changing all that and now consider model aircraft, real aircraft, and for all effective terms. And come down heavily with uh, regulation and registration and uh, I guess even talking about going to manufacturers and forcing them into some sort of almost a certification program which sounds really draconian. And you have to wonder how effective any new legislation will be anyway one way or the other because we're still basically under the guidance of 336 here yet although it says the FAA can't promulgate any new rules I mean look at registration that to me, it should be an open and shut case that it's a new rule. Um, but they did it anyway, and using some big lawyer words to, to try to justify it, and nobody's stopping them. Um, now, I think, Lee, you're a little bit more familiar with the, the civil lawsuits that are fighting that, but the fact of the matter is Congress, who has that authority, 
has done nothing. And so I'm not sure. It, it seems like the FAA is going to do whatever the heck they want, whatever the law says. Well, I'm not even con- convinced that the Congress even knows what they're talking about when it comes to model airplanes. Yeah, and I think somehow because of either news coverage or something, it, it's become uh, convenient for an anti-drone stance to be popular. And so that's a common platform and without actually knowing what they're standing for. I hope our listeners understand that we, the three of us, talk about this all the time. I'll call Terry and just complain, complain, complain. And, and I just really need someone to vent with. And I'm hoping to make this little part we're going to start doing for our podcast uh, to bring you guys aware. We're going to put links up on our website of sites we go to. I will say one that I visit often is RC Groups. They've actually created a subgroup or subform rather for uh, the model aircraft and drone advocacy posts. I have several in there. Uh, I've been lucky to have uh, the one gentleman who currently has one of the last lawsuits going against the FAA, John Taylor, who's actually responded in my post with a video from the Heritage Foundation of him being on a, a, a panel discussing this. And if you watch that video, and I please encourage you to to click on that link, that is a huge amount of great information and how crazy this policy is being handled, not only by the FAA, which to me is, I, I don't have a problem with the FAA. They, they have a tough job to do, but specifically when it comes to model aviation, I think they've gone way beyond their scope of authority. You know, their statement is anything an inch above the ground and up to the sky is their territory. Well, we've been flying model airplanes in that NAS, National Airspace, for years without any controversy until the media, as as Fitz mentioned, hyped drones, which, oh, I'm not going to say that word. You know, drones are what people are saying. That's incorrect. They're, they're fearing, excuse me, they fear quadcopters and multirotors. And unfortunately, we're just being controlled out of existence. But we, we're going to post a lot of information here, and, and hopefully we'll start uh, you know, including more vital information that you guys need to know, and, and we'll be carrying this over in several recordings. Well, I want to point out that I think our, the opinions here are not unilateral within the three of us. So Fitz and I like and fly multirotors. Lee, you're... What's your stance? I am. I tongue in cheek multi rotors a lot. Uh, I do not hate them. I am very disturbed on how society has turned them into the problem that, and has unfortunately hurt my love of the hobby, which is sport aircraft. I, I got an anecdotal uh, story to tell you about that. There was a guy at the flying club. And he was talking about how he wanted to have some sort of program at the local school. I think it was a high school or middle school. And he went to the administrators and said, hey, I want to uh, bring some kids in and show them how to fly model airplanes. And they said, yes, you can bring model airplanes, but you can't bring drones. And he was astounded. He said, well, there's not really much of a difference. What are you talking about? Is it? And they were adamant that if there was a model airplane, it was fine. But if it was a multi-rotor, they were absolutely not permitted. I guess we should be glad that they're noticing a difference. But the point I was going to make a minute ago is that I think, although most people associate multi-rotors with drones, to me, the fundamental difference is whether or not it has autonomous features. And that's usually GPS, which there are plenty of fixed-wing models that have that and plenty of multi-rotors that do not. So I, I think it's weird that multi-rotors specifically are the villain here when I think it's that one little component of GPS that it's really the, the thing that's made the difference between people who are unaware of the rules doing damage compared to just a regular Joe out flying his model. Well, if I'm going to chime in, by the way, listeners, <laughs> we're good friends, but this Terry brings up a good point. I mean, I don't have multi-rotors. I, I don't, you know, go, you know, look to buy one, but I would add line of sight. Because even though you're mentioning GPS, I believe if you're flying a multi-rotor and that's, you know, or FPV to do racing and so forth, and I'm just saying it, I don't think you're in full command. I've seen some really nasty 
flights of multi-rotors, not to mention fixed wing. But if you're doing, uh, you know, GPS or goggles only, that also puts the fear in the media and whatever the authorities. I don't know if I agree with that. I think the the difference is not whether or not you can see it. It's whether or not you have whether or not you are relying on some sort of device to do part of the flying for you. If you're submitting yourself to the knowledge of GPS satellites and some guy who programmed a chip in China to make sure that you're not crashing, then that's the difference. And I think that's an important distinction, but I don't really see any evidence that that's being brought up in any of these reauthorization uh, proposals. Right. They're, they're just lumping it all together. And to me, there's a very fundamental difference there. But what gets me is that I'm going to the FAA's website, and every photo they have is a multi-rotor. And they yep. use the word drone. I mean, and I just, that's that, you know, again, I'm, what do you call it? I'm barking up, barking up the same tree. <laughs> uh, I just, it's just crazy. They, they have not been able to separate the two. And I, I understand what you're saying, Terry. You know, is the GPS the determining factor? You know, I think is. FPV has something to do with it. I, I think, I mean, because here's the thing. If we're going to go after GPS devices, and you mentioned that there are fixed wings that do it, then you should also do anything that's FPV. And I'm okay with that if it includes fixed wing aircraft, because you're right, people fly fixed wing that way as well. But, and I'm not sure I said this clearly before, even if you're doing FPV, the only difference is your your point of view. You still have to have the skills and the knowledge to fly that thing. Whereas with the GPS, you substitute that knowledge and ability for for some computer chip. Okay. Well, you make you, but you just made a point for the FAA, and I'm I agree with you. But having that skill is not something one's going to have if they go to the store and buy one. Who's never flown before? They they want that proof of a skill of being able to fly FPV. Do you think you have to show that proof? No, but without that GPS chip, you have to earn that yourself, or you're not going to get very far. You're not going to be a risk to anyone other than your own wallet without GPS. Do you think someone should be able to go buy an FPV aircraft? This is before the FA. Do you think you would have recommended an FPV aircraft without a GPS to someone who's new to the hobby? I wouldn't recommend it, but I wouldn't have a problem with somebody dumb enough to do it. Because they're not going to fly off into the horizon. You know, the plane's going to go 30 feet and crash into the ground. And then sooner or later, they'll either give up or they'll realize that they need someone to help them. Okay. Whereas if they go buy something FPV or not that has GPS on it, they flip the switch and they're flying wherever they want. And to me, that's where the danger comes in. You know, I don't have a problem with fields that say, you know, we, we want to... I know that sparks down the street requires you to show proof of competency. Compent I can't talk this morning. I need more coffee. Competency. Is this a moral exam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Up is down and down is bad. <laughs> um, you know, you have to show that you can go, you know, take off, fly around and land. You know? But to me that was like kind of my job as a parent to take my son to train him. I know because that's how it happened to me. And, and I have to respect there's other people out there who just want to get in the hobby. You've never done it before and have to learn. But you, we always encourage them to go to a, a field and learn from other pilots. But obviously in the free market, you can go to any hobby shop, pick up an, a bind and vault, in this case, an RTF and take it home and fly it in a field and, and do that. You know, that's the restriction there. But when it comes to FPV, I just think giving someone that freedom is extremely risky. I mean, you're right. If you if you give someone a, a brand new a plane and they go to a field, the chances of them getting you know past 20 feet without any experience are very slim. But I, I guess I just kind of fear FPV for beginners. This is only this is only applying to people who have never flown before. So that's why I'm kind of tagging in the FPV into the GPS. You could probably change my mind on it, but uh, definitely the GPS is this is the factor that I wish the FA was addressing. You know, period. And, and speaking of the registration, were we talking about registration? Uh, looking on the yeah, RC we are groups, now. the forum that Lee talked about, if you can believe what you read on these threads, you got to take it with a grain of salt. 
but it appears that there's now a case where there was an incident reported by someone and then local police used registration data to poll people in the area who had registered to see if they yes. were involved. Yes, I saw that. That was a really interesting thread. Right, which was one of the, the Big Brother-type scenarios that people were concerned about when registration was first mentioned. And here it is, supposedly. Yep. You're on a public database, and so the police come knocking just for some vague uh, uh, suspicion or just basically trolling, I guess, in, right. in a sense. Now, they were adamant that this wasn't the FAA. This was actually just a local initiative of the local sheriff's department doing this. Right. Well, the FAA's stance is that the local enforcement should be using that database you know, to to enforce their rules. And I think it sounds like the local cops were trying to do that just in a misguided way. And what's to stop anyone else from doing the same? All right, Terry. I just pulled up the link you post or you mentioned about the uh, being visited by cops on the RC group site, and I'm just scanning it real quick. And you know, this addresses uh, another post that's mentioned in that the FAA registration database is going to be accessible by the the public that they're going to know who we are, and that's I think one reason why many people have not registered. Uh, me, I. I am just very against the idea that I'm a threat. I don't want to register because they suddenly believe that my 35 years of flying fixed wing sport aircraft is suddenly a reason to be a threat to society because that's how I treat the registration database. And I know that's how several of my club members feel that they're being treated. Um, so again, you'll see stuff like that on these drone forums where people don't like this registration. And that's exactly why John Taylor is fighting it, that... This doesn't make any sense that you're going after people who are going to, the only people who are registering are the ones who are following the law. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much the gist of it. And yeah, it's think... interesting because ever since a lot of this new FAA stuff started, and I want to say that was in like 2014 when they did their reinterpretation of the 336 wording. I've been writing different articles about it, and I reread some of them recently, and it's funny that in those first articles, I tended to be very sympathetic with the FAA and the big job they have and, and trying to get all this together and manage the airspace with the, the rapidly proliferating number of multi-rotors. And then as you go along, my tone towards the FAA changes significantly. And in this most recent one where I talk about registration and things like that, I wouldn't say I'm outright hostile, but I think my my understanding of their stance has pretty much come to an end. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. It seems like they're in such a rush to do something that they're really not fully thinking it out or letting the community have much input. They're just, they got to do something, got to do something now. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of the way I feel about it. They've been given a huge job, and then rather than nitpick it apart to to do things accurately, they're just taking the broad brush and doing what's easy for them. And I think down the road there will be consequences for that. So even though it's just model airplanes, I, I do think there's a bigger picture involved. Yeah, I think we should know that you know th this affects all RC modelers that that do anything that flies. And I think this affects you and highly encourage you to write or pick up the phone or email your representative, Congress, Senate, and add your input, add your voice, and hopefully they at least listen to us a little bit. Oh, gosh. Terry and I both have a wonderful story. Terry started it. But, Terry, tell about your letter back from your senator. Do I have to? Yeah, you do. And this is important. This is what is sad about what's happening. So... You know, I mentioned a little while ago that it has become, seemingly has become popular to take an anti-drone stance. Um, so when the AMA sent out that letter uh, a month or so ago asking you to write to your senators, this was right before the, the Senate voted on their FAA bill, uh, write to them and let them know your concerns. I did that. Um, I wrote to both of our Texas senators, and a few weeks later I received a reply from John Cornyn, is that his name? John Cornyn? Yes. Yeah. 
I received a reply from his office um, in response to that letter, and it looked like a form letter. It said, thank you for writing about this, and you'll be happy to know that I have taken a stand for the safety of the airspace and approved it. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's exactly the opposite of what I asked you to do. And so I just found it funny that they sent me an email to to pointedly tell me how they did exactly what I'm against. And, and it had some bad grammar. And it's funny because <laughs> as soon as Terry sent me that, I checked my email like the next day and I got the same letter back. And I'm pretty sure you sent a reply to that, didn't you? Yeah, it was not the nicest letter I've ever written. Mine neither. I wrote a sounds reply like, to it saying, I can't believe you didn't listen. <laughs> it sounds like it was a staffer letter, I mean, a form letter from a staffer. Yeah, they, they I'd be surprised that all the incoming email, if it has FAA in the title, then send them this one. Yeah, I'd wonder if the, the senator even saw it or not, or he just had a blanket statement. And this is how I feel, and you handle it. Well, and I'm going to... I'm kind of I don't want to use that as evidence to discourage people from writing their senators. It, it hasn't deterred me. It just... That wasn't a pleasant experience. Just, just don't expect miracles, but you know, right. keep hammering them. Yeah, sure. and 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 this morning the three of us saw the AMA update from Chad Bedreau on where do we stand, and it was actually very good. I've had my frustrations with the AMA, how I I don't feel like they're addressing this as hard as they should. It, this is related to writing letters to Congress. I mean, you need to write letters to the AMA too. You need to tell them how you feel. Um, but his point was, it's a fiasco right now. You've got the Senate's version of what they think should be changed. How it got there, how it got that far, is beyond me. I, I, it'll take too long for us to discuss it on this podcast. Go to the links we're providing, including the current version of the Senate bill. And his point was, the Senate version is bad, but we have the House to go to now. We have to get it back from them before July, and it has to be compared to the Senate version. And if we're lucky, this is the weird part, if we're lucky and they don't match up, it'll have to go to another committee where they make it into one or they, they take, you know, they negotiate the two. And there's a good chance it won't, in which case it'll just carry over the, the 2012 um, reauthorization. And... We we still need to keep fighting. It, there's, we just do not want the Senate version to pass. It is a disaster for this hobby. Yeah, fortunately, we're still in the early stages, so I think we'll have to revisit this topic, uh, hopefully after a summer break, and we'll, we'll have an update on where we stand. All right, well, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. The effect of which is like having your brains smashed out with a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. All right, well, that was a pretty heavy conversation. Let's lighten things up a little bit. Uh, Lee, you need some cheering up. What's on your workbench? My P38. <laughs> actually, uh, actually uh, cleaned the workbench this weekend. That took me a while. I hadn't been in and out of the workshop for a while, but the um, I'm working on the JR Models P38 that I uh, got from a swap meet it's the fiberglass speeder so i did some sanding and uh need some new more painting on it but i'm i'm working on that so it's getting closer uh other than that um we've got the uh car running real well terry so we've been tweaking that uh, austin put some leds on it <laughs> so he's been driving around at night now but uh, cleaning up the workshop was a big, big thing. So I'm, I'm glad I can walk around there now and, and see all the other planes I need to work on. Like that 20-year-old glider <laughs> you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I agree. My workshop is in desperate need of cleaning, and I dread having to do it. But I know I need to do it. Well, of course, my workshop's only a fraction of the size of yours. Taj, my workshop you have. Thank you. Oh, no, there's no thinking. <laughs> I'm lucky, yes. <laughs> yes, I will have that one day. One day! Terry? Well, I don't know if I should mention it, Lee. Uh, my latest project <laughs> is one of those infernal <laughs> multi-rotors. <laughs> Damn them! <laughs> so I did some review work with the DJI Phantom 4 these past couple weeks, and you know, I'm always uh, pulling for the underdog, so part of me wanted to not like it, 
but very little of me did not like it. It's a neat ship. It's got a sport mode where it's pretty fast, but it's also got a, a photo mode, you know, very stable mode that's good for using the camera, and it's got a nice camera. That's a 4K, and there's really no fisheye effect to it. So, yeah, I gotta say, it's it's pretty nice. As much as I'd like to be a DJI hater, I'm not. I will... This was my first Phantom I've uh, had, at least for this long, since the first Phantom, and the difference between that first one and this one, which was only a spread of three years, is just huge. Wow. So it's interesting to see you know, how far that technology has come in just three years. I was going to say, I'll chime in and say, you know, <laughs> we we do this to each other all the time. <laughs> we already had the Velcro debate. Now it's multi-rotor debate with, with Crazy Lee. Oh, it's going to get worse because <laughs> my next topic is FPV. <laughs> and not just any FPV, but I talked last time about trying the night FPV using the low-light camera. And I've done it. And it works. Wow. I don't know if I'd want to do it flying fast. I've got it on a racing quad. It's the RXD250 from Rise, which is a, a Hobbyco brand. And the first time I tried it, it didn't go well because the ground was not lit well enough for me to see how high I was. But I added a bunch of LEDs around the outside of the quad and a few on the bottom. And so now when it's flying close to the ground, it illuminates things well enough that it's really not an issue. No, smart. Yeah, yeah interesting. it's a lot of fun. And again, I wouldn't want to go fast, fast, but I, I did some aerobatics and some low passes at uh, full speed for this quad, and it it was doable. I didn't crash, so it's something I'll keep trying. I might uh, do the same camera in a fixed-wing FPV platform and see how that goes. Has so anyone... To try. When you fly these crazy drones of yours <laughs> has anybody stopped to ask you questions or commented no when i do it at the rc field there's usually some people who are curious about it and they'll talk to me but most of the time i'm in a big empty city field near my house and if anybody were to to come along while i was out there i would be scared so you're not flying them over monuments or or people or <laughs> Or no, skyscrapers <laughs> No. That's good. No. I, I'm, I'm trying to be sensible. You are a smart multi-rotor pilot. I I appreciate that. No, I, I look, I was going to say, I, I have seen a couple of people posting on the, the DGI4. In fact, there's a couple of people I follow on Twitter who are kind of, uh, you know, internet geeks that uh, just kind of promote products. And one of them actually uh, received one to test. Uh, I guess to do some blogging that they do, uh, to use it to just do uh, their little videos. And they were really complimentary on it, how easy it was to set up. Hmm, that's a little bit disturbing because I guess fundamentally you could take it out of the box and get it flying pretty quickly. But because it's so easy to fly, it's also very complex. And I write about this in the review. You have to take the time to find out what all those buttons do and and how the thing works because there's any number of things that could happen while you're flying it where you need to know what's going on or it, it best it'll fly away at worst it's going to fly into something so I, I think there's a responsibility there to to understand the system even well, if you don't know how to fly i hope i didn't make it sound like these people had never flown one before these are people who are who have had different types of multi-rotors in the past there. oh okay i was not like some celebrity. No, I apologize. Yeah. I meant to say... Okay, because I've seen examples of that as well. Fitz, do you have a multi-rotor on your bench? Please, please. No. Sorry. What happened to Unless your you... other racer? Did you finish it? Uh, No. Well, it's... No, I had to put it aside for my my last review. I had to get that out. I was going to say, so... I thought he was going to say I had to put it out of its misery. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Fitz does the... have an FPV story, right? Yes, I do. Oh, uh, please tell. Well, I flew FPV for the very first time. And last and, time. Uh, and last time. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't know when I started, but no, everything survived, and I got a video to document it, so I that's the review uh, video I just posted. And I tried it on two planes, first on a glider, just to see if it worked, and then I put it on my uh, Chaos 60, which I mentioned earlier. I outfitted that with the camera and transmitter, and did a 
full takeoff pattern and landing all by FPV. I didn't even look at the plane, not even once. And in fact, I did it three times, took off and, and one of the last flights, I actually did some aerobatics and then landed again. And uh, that was a really neat experience. Uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's like a video game, uh, you know, a flight simulator game. It was really, really interesting. And I had a good time doing it. I'm, and I'm looking at what else I can put the camera in and have fun with. Maybe a helicopter this time or something. Uh, also, I got a couple other things on the workbench. Uh, one, last week I mentioned the Vampire Jet. Lee and I were talking about that because Lee has one. And uh, I was able to actually get that flying. In fact, I flew it out at a fly-in last weekend. And now, this was a, a crashed airframe that you picked up secondhand? Yes, I picked it up from a fellow club member who crashed it and didn't want to put it back together. So I rebuilt it and back to the flying condition. It's a little kind of a Franken jet because it's all the colors don't match anymore because I had a graft on a new nose. Uh, but just for a simple hand launch belly flopper, it wasn't too bad. It was interesting flying it for the first time because I didn't have the manual. So I had to sort of kind of take an educated guess where the CG was. Although ultimately there was some markings in it, but I thought that was, I can't be right. That's way too far forward for any normal looking CG. So, uh, my first flight was a handful because it was tail heavy. Uh, it was marginally flyable. So I got it down and started progressively adding weight to the nose. And it turns out the marking on the fuselage was actually more or less correct, slightly conservative, but wasn't that far off. And for some reason it needs quite a bit. The CG's pretty far forward and needed quite a bit of nose weight. And so I ended up taking out the weight and just putting a big, giant battery pack in it. And now it flies just fine. What, uh, what size battery do you have in it now? It's got a 5,000 milliamp hour 4S. <laughs> Jeez, you had to add a lot of weight. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. What they capacity was the original battery? I think they recommend a 3,000 milliamp hour battery pack. Okay, that's yeah. a significant jump. I have a 3300. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I just needed so much. Well, you mentioned before about putting bamboo skewers in the tail boom. Uh, and so when I went to go see about doing some reinforcement in the tail, I noticed that the previous owner had already done that, actually. He had put some sort of reinforcement in the booms. With uranium skewers? I guess something heavy. Gold. Because it must have made it really tail heavy. Gold. <laughs> Lead rod. So... Uh, it's a nice flying plane, actually. It's actually pretty nice. Uh, slightly sluggish on on hand launch, probably because all that weight I have in the nose. Uh, but once on step, it's actually a really fun plane to fly. It's, I had a good time flying it. It has a great sound. It does. It does sound really neat. Sort of a mixture of a vacuum cleaner and a, a whooshing sound. Well, it sounds good pound the pass because it's got those huge cheater holes in the bottom. Yeah. But man, It's funny holding the plane when you throttle up because you can feel the air suck in those cheater holes. Well, it's a good combination. You you get the scream from the the high RPM fan, but those cheater holds just added that little extra. Uh, you know, people were coming by going, "Wow, that thing sounds really cool." You know, so yes, yeah, very distinctive sound in the air. I have my uh, my maiden flight with that on YouTube. I'll have to oh, yeah? send you that link. Yeah, send me the link. Let's see how that goes. I took. Uh, isn't... Did you keep your gear on? I I ripped mine out. No, no gear. That's why I was hand launching it. Good. I mean, did, yeah, is no... it still on there? No, I took everything out yeah, completely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did the same thing. It it, it flies great, and it lands just as well. Uh, yeah, I had no problems once I got the CG right. It's a really nice flying, nice handling plane. Uh, I flew it several times, as a matter of fact. Uh, also, I mentioned, uh, since I'm going over to the small fly-in, S-M-A-L-L, they specialize in small aircraft, a major fly-in, uh, I, I pulled out of the attic a very, very old Gillow's RC conversion to 049. And so uh, this is a little plane, 24 inch wingspan. I pulled out the engine, got it ungunked up and unseized and ran it on a workbench a couple times. And I put it in a plane. I took it out for a test fly yesterday and uh, it hadn't flown in literally probably 20 something years. So it's got, uh, this was interesting in it. I had somebody hand launch it for me and <laughs> it immediately went like vertical straight up. Uh, and it turned out it needed a lot more down elevator than I remembered. But once I got it, uh, I didn't crash it, got it straightened out, and it actually flew pretty good. It was it was not bad. It's it's odd flying an 049 plane again. I haven't flown for a long, long time. No throttle and control, right? No throttle. 
because <laughs> there was one point it's like you know I, I'd like to land it to check something, but no, you're 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 in for the long haul. And uh, fortunately, the engine started relatively easy. I didn't have too much problem getting it started. Uh, but it, it's just funny these things. These things it started off a little bit on the rich side, but after a couple of minutes, it leaned right out. Things making the screaming noise and flying around. It's it's just a totally different experience after flying electric for so for, for so long that uh, going back into my gateway drug of 049 flying it was really i had mixed feelings about it <laughs> but it was fun good i'm glad that worked out yeah i'm really glad too it was really nice to fly that that old old beat up plane i'm gonna have a lot of fun with it uh, this coming weekend old style flying old style yes before the round cell days <laughs> yes well they were there Actually, it had some round cell days around the same time, but they didn't. It was like a powered glider that barely got out of its own way. Maybe we'll carry this over and ask people to respond, but uh, did either of you have Cox U-Control aircraft? Sure. Uh, yeah. I had the PT-19. That was my first control line plane. <laughs> I had the same one. Held together by rubber bands. Right. When you crash it, the parts go flying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rubber band it all back together. <laughs> yes. Again. My, that was brilliant. My brother had one of those uh, UFOs. Oh, the free flight UFO. Yeah, free flight UFO. Yeah, there's a club member of ours that has one. I'm trying to get him to let me borrow it. Maybe maybe no. some of our listeners can post some photos if they still have them or old photos of those. That that'd be kind of a nice uh reminisce. You know, see yeah. those old type old type planes. We used to emulate the UFO. We would put two rags on a firewall and that was the whole plane. And the twisting of the rags counteracted the, the engine torque enough that it would just kind of hover in place or fly out of sight. You know, I had never heard of that until recently. Somebody was telling me it's a similar story. They just put a rag on an engine. It's like, you can do that? <laughs> you can. I've seen it happen. I've done it. <laughs> That's I, crazy. I've lost more than one 049 that way. You get it. <laughs> you have to detune it just a little bit. You get it at that peak RPM, and it may just fly away. Wow. We don't recommend this. No. <laughs> but it's no. fun. Yeah, the FAA should really be concerned about that. <laughs> the new drone. <laughs> the Air drones. 049s. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I think we've had enough for today. And uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Lee, Terry, another great conversation with you guys. That's just awesome. And uh, I look forward to the next session where we can prove again how Lee's wrong about Velcro. No, because you lost. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going down without a fight. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, remember, we have our website. We'll post the updates uh, from this episode and all our links. And we thank you all. Goodbye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOF LP Las Vegas.